Hello, welcome back to the Football Index podcast. It's episode 60, 6-0, and today I'm joined by Alan Cooper. Alan, how you doing, mate? I'm good, thanks. Pet, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. It's been um, been a long week. Got to the weekend and, and finally doing uh, some enjoyable stuff uh, doing this podcast with you. Uh, how's you? How have you been on the index the last few weeks? Pretty good. It's been a bit of a testing time, hasn't it? Quite a few changes we've had to deal with and different strategies and things like that. But um, I think as of last night, I was at a record high profit, so can't complain. Mm, congratulations, mate. Congratulations. Well, why don't you tell us or tell the listeners a bit more about your um, your football index journey, where you started out and how you've come to this point? Sure. So I started off in October last year, so October 2017. Came across the index um, quite randomly, actually, uh, off, a, off a cashback website. Their top cashback were offering cashback if you deposited with football index. So that kind of enticed me to put a very tiny amount in just to try it out. And then just loved it really straight away and uh, just slowly put a bit more money in, sort of week by week, month by month. And then once the deposit bonuses kicked in towards the start of the year, there's a couple of trading meets, which I went to, one in London, one in Manchester. And so they, they sort of encouraged me to put in quite a lot. Um, at that point, I felt quite comfortable to put more money in by that stage. I felt I'd kind of learned quite a bit about it. And then just gradually put more and more in really during this year. So, uh, yeah, got quite a lot in there now. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. And so you'd say that the deposit bonuses were the the things that kind of converted you from smaller depositor to a larger depositor? I think I would have done it anyway. I think it's just that was what set me off, you know, when they entice you with um, 10%. I think maybe even 20% at some point. I can't quite remember now. Mm, but there was a 20%, yeah. Yeah, it's too good to turn down, really. So that certainly encouraged me to... You know, effectively, it's free money at the end of the day. I mean, the first two were ones we had to play through, which was quite ta- which was quite a challenge, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> um, I, I kept I had to keep track of every single buy that I'd made because at that point, I don't think the transactions tracked in terms. You couldn't do a search. I don't think of how much you'd spent between a certain period. So I had to track every single purchase. Which, when you already do a spreadsheet already for your general sort of trading, uh, <laughs> it was quite time consuming to say the least. But ultimately worth it because as i say it's pretty much free money yeah and i mean we don't we always remember those um playthroughs but whenever i used to get them i used to just trade like i normally trade um and just be done with it when i'd be done with it kind of thing so i never used to i know a lot of people would get the money and then just be flipping and try and trying to um have their head above water just breaking even on every trade until they were done with the playthrough which I mean, fair enough. If you, if you need the money and you want the money back quickly, then then you should do so. But um, well, before we get into the questions, Alan, there was there was loads of them. Uh, to be fair, I'm I'm not going to lie to you, and this is by no means offence. I didn't think we'd get this many. I think we've got like twenty or so, which is ridiculous. But I just wanted to remind uh, listeners: you can also catch me on YouTube. If you type in Football Index Guide, you can go over to my YouTube channel and uh, see some pretty decent content there. If you want to see some written work by myself, Liam, and Fit Index Trader, who does his daily blog and was a guest 
blogger on the match betting blog recently then you can email me at football.index.guide at gmail.com to get the sign up to the newsletter or just dm me or dm one of the guys and if you want to hear my voice speak about football rather than football index then head over to the state of play pod uh, at state of play pod on twitter with uh, matt santangelo and if you want to collaborate or uh, partner up or you know do some sort of work together then you can hit me up on email football.index.guide at gmail.com again or you can DM me lots of people emailing in which is which is great these days um, looking to do some great things in 2019 hopefully and by all means subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already and if you have already subscribed then why not leave a review those reviews mean a lot and uh, yeah nearly a hundred of them now and mostly five stars so you guys must like what you're hearing have you have you given us a review Alan? Yeah I'm pretty much sure it was a five star one quite a while ago now <laughs> thank you very much well we'll get into the questions uh, first from, from well, we've got a few funny ones to start with uh, Index Profit Hunter who's more defensive Tony Pulis away at the Etihad or Alan Cooper whenever one of his holds gets tweeted about negatively yeah I got quite a few likes on Twitter that question uh, which was uh, <laughs> quite funny um, <laughs> definitely me um, although if you'd have said Jose Mourinho instead of Tony Pulis might have been a bit of a closer one but um, <laughs> to be slightly serious about the question, I know it's a funny question, but to be slightly serious, uh, this came from a post where a guy had tweeted Football Index last night to suggest that uh, Kimmich was changed to a midfielder. Uh, he was claiming that he'd been playing in midfield for months. So if one thing gets on my nerves more than anything else, it's people that uh, sort of post things that are incorrect. So I just decided to correct him and just point out that it's been about three or four games whilst they've had injuries in midfield. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, if, if I hold a player and somebody posts something which I don't don't agree with, then yeah, I might I might go and defend them because at the end of the day, if I'm holding them, it's because I believe in them. So if, if someone's dissing them, then, you know, it depends if it's valid. You know, I do hold some players at the moment which are falling, um, but which I believe in long term. And I can understand why they're falling, but I believe in them. So I'm going to wait for them to come back. So I wouldn't, you know, reply to somebody in that respect. But if it's something like that, then I might jump in and uh, have a word. <laughs> well, he put you in a bit of a sticky situation because you couldn't exactly be defensive about that tweet, could you? <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. So, yeah, it's just one of those things. But no, it's, it's a fair question because, you know, I have uh, quite a few times I've jumped to the defence of certain players um, that I've held. But, you know, it's all part and parcel of being on the on Twitter and on FI Twitter. So, you know, Yeah, you've got, you got to take the good with the bad, don't you? Yeah, it's all good fun, you know. Uh, if you can't take a bit of banter and stuff, then there's no point in being on there, is there? <laughs> no, not at all. And uh, RC followed up the question with, how many times has my good friend Alan Cooper asked if a player has died after they've fallen in a value circa 10p? <laughs> yeah, RC is always good for a funny tweet, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> yeah, a few times, to be fair, yeah. probably. <laughs> I think it, it, it's one of those things, you know, as I say, sometimes you see a drop on a player that you hold and you understand why they've dropped. And then sometimes you see a you see a player drop and you just can't work out for the life of why they've gone down. I mean, sometimes somebody will win, win PB and then they'll drop 10P the next day. And you're like, what? I just don't understand it. So it's just a bit of a joke, really, you know, as in, yeah, obviously, have they, have they died? <laughs> have, I, have I missed some major news about them? Because otherwise I don't understand why they've fallen, but... Uh, yeah, uh, it's a fair comment from RC. To be fair, <laughs> fair play, fair play. Well done for taking those uh, those jokey questions on board. Um, well, another another one from Kino Fi Trader. What percentage of an average day are you on the Fi app and Twitter talking about Fi? <laughs> 
far too much, which is I'm sure why he's asked that question. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've got a full-time job. I've got a little boy, quite a hectic life, to be perfectly honest. But it's easy these days to nip on your phone in breaks, on commutes, in downtime, and, and you know, pop onto the app or, you know, pop onto Twitter and see what's going on. Um, you know, I can I can send a tweet in about ten seconds, so you know it's not it's not as time consuming as people might think. You know, I, I do tweet a lot, but it's deliberate. You know, um, I enjoy engaging in debate. You know, engaging other people's opinions, and I think Twitter is a really powerful tool to promote the index as well. So the more tweets that you know with the F, yeah, the more tweets that the FI hashtag has, the better, as long as they're you know reasonable content. Sometimes there's a bit a bit of dross on there, but. Um, you know, most people I interact with about FI, you know, really, really interesting people, got some great opinions, and I'd like to feel like I've helped quite a few people along the way as well. Um, I've got a little WhatsApp group with about seven or eight people in, so a bit of a shout out to them. Uh, they're really, really good people as well. So I think finally on that question, I think if you're a good trader, um, so looking at the app side of things, now, I think if you're a good trader, uh, particularly on impulse trading, uh, you can make more money the more time you're on the app. So obviously you can overtrade if you're, you know, some people probably at the moment are probably on there all the time with the GNA dividends, and I think potentially the, maybe with practice you can get better at doing that. But I think you can probably overtrade on those a little bit. I, I tend to kind of see the same name sort of buying the goal scorers every time someone scored, and you kind of think, are you really going to make a lot of money from that? But you know, it's each to their own. It's everyone's uh, sort of own way of trading. And um, but I do think that the more time you can be on there. You know, particularly if you see a play, if you're watching a game, someone gets injured, and you can quickly sell them, you know, and that kind of thing. I think if you're not able to do that, you know, you're going to see more sort of uh, drops and things like that that you don't, you don't, you don't get the chance to react to. Mm-hmm, certainly. So I think I always say I do uh, do a lot of my good work both on the Football Index app and on Twitter on the toilet. Um, <laughs> that's why I tend to find myself uh, making up a lot of my tweets, uh, checking through the portfolio, or just you know, in bed before I nip off to bed. Uh, or oh, in bed before I nip off to sleep rather um, that's those usually my two prime times um, but we'll move on to the next question Daily who asks what skills from poker slash forex trading do you think uh, are most important to be a successful trader on Football Index it's a really interesting question that um, before I answer it I'll, just to give some context um, yeah please uh, I've, uh, and, and, and if you could please explain like for people who don't know what forex trading is if you could give a, a, a high level explanation of that, I'll well. try. Um, so yeah, the, the kind of disclaimer to this is that I've put poker and forex on my uh, on my account just to kind of, I guess, generate some interest in the fact that um, those things are kind of slightly related to uh, to FI trading. I'm not a massive, massive poker player. I have played a tournament in Las Vegas. Just you know, just walk into a casino and playing a tournament. Actually, uh, won the tournament. Um, I don't play a lot these days. Forex, uh, I did a year's course to actually learn Forex. I don't actually do much trading at the moment because I'm focusing on FI. So, you know, I'm not an expert on either of these two things, but I think they are relevant. With poker, first of all, I just think it's very similar in lots of ways because you've got things like probabilities, you know, when you've got a certain hand, what's the chance I'm going to get, you know, the winning hand from this particular you know set of two cards i've got and and what cards have come down that type of thing reading what other people are looking reading other people's plays so you know why has someone done that why is someone so you can relate that to fi as why is somebody selling that player or why is somebody buying that player you can say why is this person you know raised my my bet or something like that on a on a poker table um so i think that there's quite a few similars there and also the 
I guess the mentality as well of um, you know poker can be quite a hard hard place sometimes you can take some bad beats and things like that and I think if you can sort of accept those in poker you can accept closing a, a bad trade or a losing trade on, on football index um, in relation to forex so forex is basically exchanging currencies so you get you kind of join a broker um, so to give a simple example if you thought that the pound was going to tank uh, say, for example, where when Brexit was announced, the pound crashed. So if you anticipated on the day of Brexit that the result of the um, the uh, election was going to be Brexit, you might have shorted the pound, uh, so bet against the pound effectively. And if you thought, say, that the US dollar was particularly strong at the moment, you might have taken a trade of uh, pound dollar short, which basically means that you think the pound's going to fall in comparison to the dollar. So you basically bu- you know, you buy a certain amount effectively of pounds uh sorry of dollars against the pound with pounds and then if that does happen then you're going to make money basically so um it's effectively trading one currency against another um so you, you you're kind of betting on the one that you think is going to rise and then against the one that's going to fall basically so does that make sense yeah yeah it makes sense to me you're basically longing the um the the currency you think is going to rise and shorting the one that you think is going to fall Exactly, yeah. So if you've got a good idea at the moment of, of a, a currency that's strong and one that's weak, you may, you know, long the uh, the stronger currency against the weaker one. Or it, it, sometimes it can be based on news, for example. So, um, like nine thirty in quite a couple of days of the week, there's usually some news um, or figures and stuff that come out um, relating to the pound. So it could be um, GDP or CPI or something like that. And if you think the figures are going to be really good, then the pound's probably going to go up. So you might long the pound. If you think it's going to be bad, you might short the pound, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk a bit about why or how this may have helped you on FI. Yeah, so I actually had a really tough time in my Forex training because um, it took quite a lot of trades and I wasn't really making any money, to be perfectly honest. I was actually really struggling with it. And a lot of the trades were actually ones where we were following the, you know, the guys who were actually doing the education. So... I, I kind of struggled mentally with it uh, because I, I, I assumed that I would make money out of it and it wasn't really happening. Um, we weren't trading much money at that point. It was mainly the education I was doing, but the trades we were doing weren't going particularly well. So um, I think what that allowed me to do was was to kind of understand that you do need to have a really strong mentality to trade. Um, and, and I think that you realize when you're uh, when you do a trade that there's no guarantees to it so you know when you go through tough times and you're losing a bit of money here and there um, you know you can be tempted to chase losses you get frustrated and that often makes you make more bad decisions things like that so I think I really learned from that to um, change my mentality and so by the end of that year's course I was doing I'd massively got over the the kind of getting you know angry or frustrated with um you, you know the, the trade the sort of the trades that went wrong and, and kind of focus on on the positives um i think it also helped me to try and take it sounds ridiculous in a way but to take the money out of the equation if you actually think how much am i winning or losing on this trade it can cloud your judgment so if you apply that to football index so you know the money that I've got in my account. I, I almost sort of di- try and disregard the, the figures to some extent in terms of what money is actually in there and what I'm actually spending on a on a, f- on a footballer 
footballer's future. So, for example, if you buy decide to buy a hundred Neymar, it's going to cost you about seventeen hundred and fifty pounds. Now, that's a heck of a lot of money. If you actually stop there for a second and think, I'm about to spend seventeen hundred and fifty pounds on a hundred Neymar futures, you might think, what on earth am I doing? You know, it's such a lot of money. But it's just part and parcel of being a trader. So you just click that button and you and you bought them and. You know, if you start to sit and worry about it too much, it can really affect you. So I think that's another side of it is to try and literally take the figures out of the equation and just think this is a trade, the money is part of my account, and to not get too hung up on how much you've you've made or lost. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. I think people, it, it's kind of similar when you talk about the red and green, right? This is why it, it deters so many traders and influences trading decisions because people are looking at the numbers the minuses the pluses and using that to help them decide whether or not to sell buy hold a player yeah absolutely yeah the, the red and green you know, you've mentioned this on quite a few podcasts or your guests have and this is part of it it's, it's a psychological thing and i've said to numerous people on twitter facebook it doesn't matter if the player's green or red you know they said oh should i sell so and so i'm five you know five percent up or I'm in the red you know should I keep them or not and I just say it's irrelevant as to whether they're in the red or the green it's entirely based on the current buy price do you think that player is going to go up or, or not and in fact I had a really interesting um whatsapp conversation with a, with a guy the other day who he said that um I've got a player I think, I think he said he was in the red um and he said I think I'm going to hold on to him until he goes into the green and I said I simply posed the question would you buy that player at one pound fifty or whatever he was? And he said, "No." I said, "Right." And he said, "Right, yeah, you're right. I need to sell him, don't I?" And I said, "Well, yeah, if that's what you think." So it's that kind of thing, you know. You need to get into that mentality of taking away the red and green. And I know people have said in the past about should FI remove the red and the green and stuff. I'm not sure because I think you need to show how much you're in profit or loss on a on a on a particular trade. But people just need to kind of get around, get over that mentality of that if that makes sense and just try and forget about that and just look solely at is this player valuable at the current price or not and if they're not yeah i think it's totally true i think should fi remove it completely i'm not entirely sure um it's a weird one Uh, i honestly don't think i don't think they should at all i think it's normal when you've got shares and things like that to see red and green i think i think you you know with all respect to traders you just have to kind of get over that and kind of learn that that's not an issue it makes sense when you start off and you see red and green and oh, i'm losing on a player it can be quite difficult for people um to take but i think you know over a, over a few months once you get used to being on the index you'll hopefully learn that's not massively relevant uh, it's more about say the current price um couple couple of other things uh on on the forex just finally um i think understanding a trade can lose is really important um applying to fi um, when i actually started fi i tried not to cl- close any trades for a loss for and for probably about two or three weeks at the start i didn't close anyone down for a loss i thought i'm not going to lose any any play i'm going to wait till they go up and then i soon realized that was nonsense um <laughs> understanding <laughs> yeah well it is you know you have to take losses it sometimes. is it's quite it's quite similar to people who are like oh i'm not going to give fi any commission or yeah uh, you know when when someone comment, comments on someone's tweet about a trade, oh well, what about all the commission you lost? It's like, well, you know, eventually everyone's going to lose money on a on commission, whether it be you sell after three days or three years. So commission is, 
you know, something that you can't of course, avoid. Absolutely. Um, also, uh, understanding charts that don't chart, sorry, charts don't move in one direction. So I think, you know, I've had to remind myself of this sometimes. You know, FI has been on such a massive role since I joined. You know, generally players have been shooting up all over the place. Um, you know, and people might laugh at this because they've seen my tweets about why so and so fallen. You know, I used to tweet about that kind of thing more in the past. Now I've kind of stopped doing that generally now um, because I've realised that you know I'm kind of answering my own question there. Um, you know, markets go up and down, players go up and down, and sometimes they will go down when you don't expect them to. Um, you know, a particular reason for that is people taking profits, and you see that in forex all the time. You know, um, a, if a currency takes a massive spike up you'll suddenly see a bit of a spike down, maybe a smaller spike, but you'll see the spike down because some traders will have closed their positions and, and therefore it will cause a drop. So, you know, if you see that all the time, on uh, on particularly on the goals and assists now, you'll see somebody shoot up 15p when they score and within about 10 seconds they've dropped down 5p again because some people have instant sold. You know, you can apply that over a, over a month or a year instead and say a player shot up I don't know, 50p over a month at the end of that month, somebody might think, do you know what, that's a really good profit. I'm going to put these to to market. That might drop that player 2 or 3p. Somebody else might think, why has so-and-so dropped 2 or 3p? They've been brilliant this month. And it's because someone's taken the profits. So that's another really important thing. And the final thing on this is about compounding. Now, I've tweeted about this quite a bit, and there's been a couple of other traders are very big on this as well. It's about compounding an account. So if you make... If you're making money and you keep reinvesting it and not taking it out, that money grows so much faster than if you keep taking the money out. Um, I remember when I started my Forex training, um, they gave us an example, which it sounds a bit far-fetched. And people might might kind of think this sounds unrealistic, but if you start off with a £1,000 and you make 2% profit every week and you never take any money out, I think it was 29 years. It's a long time, but 29 years you'd be a millionaire. So you can turn a thousand to a million in twenty nine years, even at just two percent profit a week, if you don't take any money out. Now, okay, it might sound like an extreme example, but it does show the effects of compounding. Because if you took that two percent out every week, you'd be nowhere near that. The eighth, the eighth wonder of the world, isn't it? Absolutely. I think one of the one of the guys uh, put that I think up the other day. It's very very true. So you know, people talk about you know withdrawing money and things like that. If you need to withdraw the money, withdraw it. If you need to de-risk and stuff like that, but. If you can keep the money in and keep investing your dividends in new players, you're going to keep growing your portfolio. Mm-hmm, certainly so. It's, it's again, going back to that risk factor, how risky do you want to be um, in terms of keeping more and more and more money in? Because what I think a lot of football index traders have found, especially those who have been on for a couple of years, that perhaps you know they've put in a certain percentage of their bank account into football index and then perhaps that amount of money in football index has grown to be bigger than what's in your bank account and i'm not saying that's happened for a lot of people but it's happened for a few and i can understand when you look at it in that way you're like well hang on a minute a lot of my money is suddenly in this football index do i want this percentage of my net worth to be here or do you need to look at the money as being money that you just can lose and kind of discount it as you were saying earlier it's entirely up to each person i mean you know i am also studying at the moment um a qualification uh, like a financial qualification and one of the sections in that is about investments and um the kind of the general advice that you know that a financial advisor would, would give would be to spread your risk so 
you know, you, say for example, you had five thousand pounds, you might put a thousand pounds in the football index, you might put a thousand pounds into a um, just a basic bank account kind of thing, a little savings account. Uh, you might put a thousand pounds into forex. You might put a thousand pounds into your poker account. Uh, you might put a thousand pounds into a into a you know a government bond or something like that. You know, each one of those is going to have a different element of risk and a different element of reward. And it, that's what it's all about: is the bigger risk potentially the bigger rewards, uh, but also potentially the bigger losses. I think it just comes down to: do you have faith in the index? You know, my faith in the index is unwavering. So. I've got the majority of my savings in the index because I can't see a scenario where it's all going to crash. So, you know, it's it's risky, but it's a risk that I'm prepared to take. And, you know, I, I say, I, as people know from following me on Twitter, the people that do follow me on Twitter, they'll know that I'm very positive about the index and, uh, you know, that's why I'm willing to take the risk. Mm, well, speaking about the future of the index and positivity... TC, who's been on the podcast before, he was very good. Assuming dividends stay the same, what are your thoughts on market reaction to share split? Does the huge pre-split growth in Neymar already account for any post-share split psychological appeal of having him at a cheaper price? Which other types of players do you see most appealing once we're once we've split? It's a very good question. Again, um, Neymar, first of all, I mean. The thing about Neymar is, you know, he is quite honestly the king of the index, not just on price, but it is for a good reason. You know, is it a good age? Uh, he's fantastic for PB. He's excellent for MB. Uh, even without the transfer links, he wins a lot of MB. Because to be honest, there haven't really been many massive links at the moment. Um, I, I can't remember him winning MB from, you know, particularly from transfer links. It tends to be other things, uh, such as controversy, diving, or whatever. Um, uh, you know, there's always like, oh, someone said he's been linked with Real Madrid again or something like that, but it's never been a massive saga. Um, once that actually hots up, and I do expect him to leave PSG at some point, whether it'll be next summer or the summer after, um, I'm pretty sure he will leave PSG at some point. And, you know, the, the MB then could be absolutely crazy. I mean, we've got a summer next year where there's no tournament, well, apart from the, uh, the Nations League sort of semi-finals. Uh, if it did all kick off, then he could win MB for you know a month straight. I mean, you just don't know. Um, I actually heard a while ago on the grapevine. Uh, this isn't to uh, to stir the pot at all, but that actually Man City were desperate to bring him in. Um, so whether that'll actually happen, who knows? But you know the potential's there for those links at least. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure everyone would be desperate to bring a player of his caliber in. But I, I did hear someone. I did see that kind of city or you know he, he had that post about him potentially moving to the not potentially moving to the Prem saying that every great player moves to the Prem I mean I'd presume that it'd be harder for him to win PB in the UK and therefore does the MB outweigh the the PB that he loses if that makes sense if he makes that transfer so it's going to be really interesting to see if he does move at some point in the next two three years where he moves and how traders kind of react to that yeah, I, I just think personally that barring a serious injury is the safest big hold on the index. You know, if you're looking at a premium player, he's the safest hold on the index. So it's no surprise to me that everyone's piled into him. Um, and I think once he's cheaper, you know, if he if he goes down by a factor of two or especially four, um, I still think that people will then look to to buy even more. So um, I, I don't think that the psychological appeal will have been affected even if he you know does end up being 20 pounds before the split i still think if he becomes five pounds that people will still want to buy him at that price but the good thing is that uh the higher that neymar goes as we've seen many times before 
he drags the prices up of other players. I mean, I particularly think at the moment that someone like Messi is now fantastic value. He won PB again last night. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely amazing performance again. Uh, his assist actually for Dembele's goal was probably even better than the free kicks. Um, so, so he's now three pounds or so, even just over three pounds cheaper than Neymar. So suddenly he becomes value, and then if he goes up, then you know Salah then becomes really good value, and, and so on and so on. So um, you know Neymar is stretching the the index, and um, I think that's definitely a massive positive. Um, moving on to other players, um, so. Other premium players, I think, will also rise. I think the growth in Neymar, despite being very attractive, as I've just said, I'm surprised at the lack of price increases of some of the other premium players like Messi and, and Mo Salah and people like that. So I would expect over the next few months those players to not shoot up, but slowly creep up as well ahead of the share split. And maybe even people like Harry Kane and, and Raheem Sterling who haven't really return a lot of dividends uh, people might say well Kane's actually quite a lot of MB over the last 12 months or things like that but if you take out the World Cup out of it that kind of thing you know Kane hasn't returned a lot of dividends but if he suddenly becomes you know £2.50 or something if he if they quarter the shares or sorry quarter the, the price then people are going to want to get into people like that I think as well so I definitely think that uh, the premium players will likely all rise I think PB holes as well will Likely, you know, good PB holes will likely increase. I think people, even though the the dividends will probably be cut, you know, by the same percentage, I still think that people will want to stock up on those players. So if you've got, you know, some consistent PB winners, of which there are definitely a few, I think if you can suddenly get four times the shares in those, um, I know four is not being confirmed, but you know, if it was four. It's quite attractive to to get all those extra shares, even if the dividends have been decreased by the same amount, because I think at some point the dividends will have to be increased again. Surely it sh- it should have to be for. I mean, you mentioned two there, and I've had this conversation with loads of people. If Neymar say gets to eighteen pounds, and we split, for example, by two, nine pounds is still pretty steep, I'd say. And I know you'd look at it coming on and say, oh well, you know someone can deposit a tenner and buy one but i i do think that if part of the reason football index are doing this is for accessibility and to instill this psychological uh, kind of viewpoint that everyone's suddenly cheap then i think a four time split is going to be the most logical one don't you agree i think it has to be yeah. i think it definitely has to be at least by four um i think four probably makes sense it was quite interesting that um uh, Adam Cole used four, but then said it might not be four. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a bit of an indication, wasn't it, that um, it, that four is probably the number that they're thinking about at the moment. But I think any more than that's probably a bit too much because the dividends have become so paltry in, in terms of amounts. And I think, like you say, two won't be enough. So I think it probably will be four, um, ultimately. So we'll have, we'll have to wait and see. It'll be interesting to see what they do with the dividends. I think they probably will all end up being... Uh, sort of roughly quartered if that makes sense if they do divide by or multiply the shares by four um, but i think at some stage you know the, the the less the roi becomes on a on a pb win or an mb win the less attractive players become so at some stage the relative dividends are going to have to increase so if you've suddenly got 100 shares of someone they become 400 shares of someone even if the dividends have been have been quartered 
at some point it's likely they're going to slightly creep up in my opinion and therefore the more shares you're going to get of somebody the you know the better you're going to be in the long term so if you've got good pb holds um at some point i'd be anticipating maybe a slight dividend increase in which case then that would result in those shares shooting up again but surely football index can't increase dividends forever um do, do you think that the next one we see if we see it will be an overall increase or will it be something creatively new like goals and assists and uh, another follow-up question do you think that football index will be splitting by the, the same ratio for both traditional pb and in play dividends i've seen a lot of people say that they think the gna might stay as they are i think the danger of that is that then you devalue the pb players i think if you make well it depends but it depends by how much right it depends by how much i just think they've got to be very careful not to overcomplicate it um i mean it's, it's difficult to say i don't know what the financial repercussions would be of, of keeping gna the same but if you think how how crazy some of the spikes are on players now um if effectively those dividends were so if they, if they keep them the same or even if they halve them so that they're kind of double what they are now if that makes sense the spikes on some of those players could be absolutely ridiculous. I mean, they're already crazy, in my opinion. You know, somebody will shoot up 12p for a 2p dividend. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Maybe they won't stay exactly the same, though. Maybe they'll they'll be split by a slightly different ratio, so as as and thereby football index are effectively increasing dividends again, but just in the GNA pot. Um, but it it totally depends what football index want to do, what kind of direction they want to take, what's better for their business as a whole. Uh, there's so many variables that we need to consider, not just whether or not traders will be happy or whether or not um, whether or not it will kind of upset the balance on football index. And whereas that's like really important, there are a, a lot of other variables that I think a lot of people, when speculating or talking about this type of thing, just aren't really um, considering. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the financial implications of these dividends are. It'd be very interesting to see what the comparison between the GNA dividends paid out compared to commission received is, because some of the spikes you get and then the instant selling. I mean, I'd, I'd be surprised if they're not making money from from those dividends com- with the commission. To be perfectly honest, I, mean, I, have, I have no idea if that's right, but there's such big spikes. I think they're probably making money off it more than say being more in commission than what they are in paying out in dividends that's my my opinion because a lot a lot of people sell those players before at midnight you know people shoot up 15p go down 5 6p all those players have been instant sold generally and they're not paying any dividends out on them so i, I think that um, they're probably making money from it so um but i don't know what the i, I don't know what how they'll split it i mean maybe they'll keep a slight a slight increase if that makes sense to the gna maybe they'll sort of halve them but you know, four times the shares, in which case they've doubled the value of them. But whether that then devalues the the PB players, you know, is an argument, and that's going to potentially annoy the sort of the bigger traders, the longer term traders, the you know the real um, sort of um, you know the really loyal people that have been with FI from the start. So you know, FI got to be very careful not to alienate those people. Yeah, it's a dangerous thing to do that. Um, it would all also depends on how much money is actually coming into the index at that point because even if comparatively those PP players were devalued short term, the material dividend return hasn't changed uh, effectively. And so if enough money was coming into Football Index at that point, then those players shouldn't be affected 
too drastically, but I'm not sure if Football Index will want to risk that. But we need to move on. Next question again uh, to do with the, the share split. Alan Davis, what's your strategy in the build-up to the share split? Sit tight and watch, withdraw or plough more money in pre- and post-split? Well, I've already increased my holding in Neymar and Messi, for example, the, the premium players slightly. and probably will look to maybe do that with other consistent PB contenders, maybe some more of the, the more premium players. Um, I definitely won't be withdrawing ahead of it. Uh, I don't really understand why you withdraw ahead of it. It doesn't make any sense. So um, I can only see this as a massive positive for the index. So um, whether I deposit any more comes down to affordability. <laughs> I'm moving house next week, so um, getting my own place. So <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Money may not allow me to uh, put any more in, but I certainly won't be looking to withdraw anything, you know, barring, you know, having something desperate to pay for or something. So I think everyone's got to look at their own risk and, and stuff like that and decide what money they can afford to put in the index. But, you know, if you've got, you know, thousands of pounds lying around earning 1% on a bank account, then I'm not here to advise people what to do. But if you're going to put more money in at some point, then now is probably as good a time as any because after the split, you know, it could easily be that a lot of players will shoot up again because they're now cheaper in, in inverted commas. And so I think if you can get the money in earlier, you're going to reap the rewards of it. Yeah, certainly so. Certainly so. We'll move on to the next question because we're a bit pressed for time. We haven't really got through these questions as quickly as we thought we would. Uh, Ash Picasso has a couple of questions. Or Ash and his at is at Picasso underscore Patel. Um, if you are, if we are at two hundred thousand users now, in your opinion, where will we be in a year's time, given the share split, and were you around for the last share? Split? I wasn't around for the previous share split, but I think I know roughly how it works. I think the shares were multiplied by four, um, values were divided by four, and I think MB went from twenty p to five p. That's what my understanding is or was of that. In terms of users, very hard to estimate. I think it depends on the growth of the market, um, obviously here, but also in the other countries that they've already got into. Um, my understanding from what I've seen from people in those countries is that FI hasn't really done any marketing or very little marketing at all in Ireland and Sweden and Canada. So they've got in there and they're live there, but I don't think they've really been targeting people from what I understand. So if they do actually start doing that, that's going to be big. Um, can they get into any, any other countries, you know, by a year's time? Because obviously that's going to affect it as well. Um, and then just things like, can they improve the onboarding process, uh, which we might come on to later potentially. Um, and I think one of the biggest things is going to be the order books. Um, you know, are they going to encourage or discourage users? And I think that's a massive thing. They have to get that right. Um, I've, but, seen, I've seen a lot of people uh, after the video that I made. I don't know if you had a look at it, Alan. Um, a, um, a lot of people yeah. well you should definitely check that out on YouTube if you just type in uh, what are order books <laughs> you'll find it on my football index channel but a lot of people were commenting stuff like oh my god like I love the index the way it is I'm really scared about this like I think I'm going to withdraw and it's kind of like football index know that if they make this too complicated people are going to shy away from it so by that logic alone it's going to be as simple as possible and I do need to reiterate that for anyone who's being uh, who's 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 fearing the uh, order books coming in? That it's not going to be as bad as you think. And football index know that if they make it too complicated, that's going to turn users off. So those two things, logically, if you add those factors together, is going to result in something that's ho- hopefully quite easy to use. 
Yeah, you definitely hope so. I, I'd be very surprised if they make it too difficult for people to understand. It really would be a, um, a very backward step and obviously a, a big problem for them. So I'm sure it'll be good. Um, but to, to kind of give a finance of the question, um, gun to the head, as you like to say, um, <laughs> I'd say it should at least double uh, the number of users. I think with all the investment they've made, the marketing costs that they've undoubtedly incurred this year, getting John Motts and Guillaume Balaguer on board, if they don't at least double the number of users by this time next year, I think they'd be disappointed with that. I'm going to go ahead and predict they'll just uh, they'll just go shy of that. I think um, 300 to 350,000 would still be a decent return in my eyes. I think um, that's that's kind of a, a nice aim, but you never know. Who knows? Uh, it could be five, 600,000. We might be underselling it. Um, but, you know, uh, let's see if they can surprise us. Next question, another one from Ash, actually. Uh, and this was uh, an interesting one. If you, uh, he said, another question if you need any more. This new ban on gambling adverts during games, how will this affect Football Index? Well, I'm not completely certain on, um, on this, but my understanding is that while certain companies have signed up to it, I don't think it's a complete ban at the moment. Um, I know it's being discussed, but I think at the moment, the number of betting firms have said, yeah, we'll, we'll sign up to not advertise during games, but I don't think it's actually a ban at the moment. Um, that's my understanding of it. Is that yours? I believe so. I haven't really looked into it too much. Um, I know that it's a it's it's a whistle to whistle ban, isn't it? So even if that were to happen, if it was to be a, a blanket ban, then you'd have the option to advertise pre and uh, post game, which wouldn't be the end of the world, I guess. Um, I mean, for me, this is an interesting one, and it's we're only going to see stricter regulation on this because I think what what's happening is people are getting into gambling earlier and earlier in their life and I think there's a big problem in the UK at the moment with um, teenage gambling like you know the 18 to 20 year olds who are just finding money whether it be at university or their first job and they are looking at gambling as a way to either get rich quick or kill time etc etc i think the football index can take this as an opportunity right if you think about it this is and a lot of people or a lot of guests have come on and said this is a better form of gambling you lose less money it's less stressful um it's more intuitive and um it requires more intelligence and a, and a lot more um and i know those people who do gamble professionally and those things they they are part of that five percent that profit from betting those guys are very smart and they do do their research and they are very st- statistically savvy but with football index it forces everyone to kind of consider those uh, statistics and consider um researching as much as they can listening to, to content like what we're doing right now I think there's a there's an opportunity, as I mentioned here, for Football Index to kind of put their foot down and be the responsible gambling company, if that makes sense, by kind of going in and saying, okay, well, we're not going to advertise whistle to whistle. Um, we're going to promote ourselves as the more intelligent version of gambling. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one way of looking at it. I mean, the other way to look at it is that if everybody else signs up to a whistle to whistle and they don't have to and they don't and they continue advertising during games, <laughs> then they're the ones that are yeah, going to be. So that that's the other way of looking at it is maybe they can uh, they can do that. If a complete ban comes in at the end of the day, it's still level level playing field, isn't it? Um, if if the other ones can't advertise, then either if FI can't, I don't think FI would lose out because they're competitors. If you know, if we're calling. 
the other the actual traditional betting companies their competitors they they can't advertise then either you know as i say then fi have, have got plenty of other ways of advertising like those other companies have to come up with some new ideas as well so i think that you know i'm not sure that in-game adverts are that important to fi i think they're probably more important to the traditional betting companies because there's all these in-play bets whereas okay fi has in-play bets but they don't actually advertise those really at the moment they only advertise the capital appreciation on the adverts whereas um the the actual gna dividends for example which are relevant to in-game play are not actually advertised in the adverts so i don't really think it would make a massive difference and if anything taking the other companies out of prime time um you know mid-game adverts actually might might work into fi's hands mm-hmm. if anything. I, I agree oh, i think that you're right i think people are looking at this in too much detail to be perfectly honest and i think that football index will prevail from whatever bans and whatever regulatory compliance that they need to meet uh next question uh james fraser when has been the most successful time or day to buy sell are you a post midnight hoover merchant i like that term (laughs) it's quite quite funny phrase um I, i don't often buy players soon after midnight um partly because I'm usually going to sleep then. Um, <laughs> but I think some players definitely get oversold at midnight. Um, so it could be a tactic that could work for some people. I don't personally record times when I buy and sell. I mean, some people might do that. Um, so I, I can't confirm kind of the best day of the week or you know whatever to buy players. But I think it is definitely true that players tend to rise in the build-up to certain games, uh, maybe single single days or soft double days maybe it was like six games something like that so if you can get ahead of the game and, and get players a week or two before those days then you're likely to kind of uh, get a rise in those players what i look at more is a player's graph now this partly comes down to my experience in forex i'm more interested in looking at the graphs to be honest and if i think a player's kind of had quite a big dip and I don't really, maybe I can understand it, but I've got faith in that player to bounce back. That's more when I'd look to buy someone. So it's not really a time or day there, but I, I would look at a player's graph and maybe a, kind of look zoom out a bit, maybe look at the, the three-month graph, then the month graph, then the seven-day graph and try and get in at a good price. So that's, that's what I would tend to look at um, there. But I have occasionally bought players after a weekend, you, you tend to see a drop of quite a few PB players and kind of like Saturday evenings or Sunday evenings after they've played if they haven't won PB. And, you know, some people seem to have unrealistic expectations that um, certain PB players are going to win every week. And, you know, the reality is that not even Neymar or Messi win every week. So I think you can definitely take advantage of other people's impatience uh, for sure. Uh, but I also use a lot of gut instinct on the index. So if I'm watching a game and someone's really impressing me, uh, then I might buy them. So, for example, some people would have seen I tweeted yesterday that I bought Salah after he scored his second goal at Bournemouth because he looked, yeah, he seemed to have his mojo back. He looked really impressive. And then he scored his fantastic third goal as well. And that was like, you know, kind of like, yes, now more people are going to buy him now. Um, but it's that kind of thing. I think if you, you know, it, there's lots of different ways of doing it, lots of different times. But I think, um, you know, it kind of comes down to each person's own, own choices. But um, for me, I wouldn't say it's a particular time but certainly 
after a weekend might be a good time to, to get in ahead of the weekend's rise. Yeah, a lot of people talk about that Sunday night shopping, don't they? Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yep. Golf and Grandad, uh, with just four Nations League matches for PB this summer, how mental do you think the spikes and drops will be during summer on transfer targets? And how will you look to play at that time of year? Also, do you think no World Cup will have an impact on youngsters' game time in pre-season? Pretty interesting questions here. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say much more so than last year for definite. You know, the, there was quite a big focus on the World Cup once football indexing so I introduced the uh, PB dividends for the World Cup. And obviously everyone's watching the World Cup, all football fans are watching the World Cup. It was a massive thing. You saw huge rises in you know players from all kind of random countries. And I think also that takes away the newspapers sort of uh, interest in transfers as well there's a lot more reporting on actual games and things like that so without the games with only those I mean England either have one or two games don't they the semi-final uh, against Holland and then if they win that they get the final um, uh, definitely the focus from May until August really is going to be all about transfers so um, there might be a bit of shifting around of PB players and things like that but it's all going to be about transfers so if there is a big saga um, maybe Hazard or Neymar, someone like that, you know, they could literally make almost pounds in dividends over the summer. They really, really could. So that's the thing is, who do you think is going to be the big transfer story of the summer? Maybe in, maybe even in January, you might start hearing of, of trans- certain transfers which aren't really going to happen in January, but maybe they'll be revisited in the summer, that kind of thing. So if you can get on those players early, you really could make a lot of money. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when there's... Because there's going to be a lot of people who have never been on the index during a transfer window and there are going to be a lot of people who have only joined just before last summer during the World Cup. So it's going to be really interesting to see how people react. I think a lot of people um, kind of predicted that some players would fall over the summer um, that, that weren't at the World Cup and they didn't seem to fall like players just kept rising didn't they if you remember Alan so whether or not we see that again or we do see big drops like we did two summers ago uh I'm kind of very interested to see it will be very interesting yeah I think I sold quite a lot of PB players expecting them to fall and then they didn't fall and I was quite annoyed by that (laughs) so uh yeah yeah it will be very interesting to see um the second part of uh, golf and grandma's question about the youngsters uh I think the answer is definitely yes so um Hundreds of players in the big five leagues returned late to training after the World Cup uh, last summer. So a plethora of youngsters played games regularly or went on the preseason tours and things like that. And quite a few of those games were televised and so they got a lot of coverage. So um, next, some of the first team players obviously will have a break um, or you know, a decent break, most of them. And then they'll be looking to regain the fitness. So when they come back for the friendlies, they'll need to play to regain the fitness. Whereas before, they were still resting after the World Cup. So I definitely feel as though the appearances of the young players will be a lot less. They'll probably come off the bench for 10 minutes here and there, that kind of thing, but they'll get, definitely get a lot less starts. Um, the one flip side of that is that if there are any youngsters that do still feature heavily for their clubs uh, in pre-season, even if the first-team players are there, they could then be the ones to watch for first-team progression uh, in the next season. So Yeah, because also, also it would mean that whilst money was perhaps spread out beforehand over these youngsters, that money is now actually pinpointed at a few youngsters that make those squads. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I won't give any names because, you know, people already know the, the names of some of the youngsters from this season. But but if any of them, 
you know, our starting games alongside all the first team players, particularly if maybe if a, if a, if a player, I don't know, if, if Chelsea lost Hazard, for example, and then, you know, one of their young players was playing in Hazard's place, um, you know, in pre-season and they weren't really being linked with anybody, then, you know, they could really shoot up that kind of thing. So it'd be very interesting to see how it all works out. But I definitely think that um, overall there'll be less youngster risers, but maybe any that there are will be more significant. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good answer. Really good answer. Um, Paul Anthony, if I'm trying to do a golfing granddad and cash in on injured players, when is the right time to buy? How can you get in as close to the bottom of the dip as possible? I'm just going to start this one off as by saying, like, I don't. I think there's kind of an obsession with football index to try and get in as close to the bottom as possible and exit as close to the top as possible. I don't necessarily think that's always the right way to look at it. I think that you want to, of course, get as close to the bottom as possible, but it's not a necessity. And I don't think you should look at it and say, oh, well, he's risen 2% off the bottom or what was the bottom not going to buy because the perhaps the rise from that is could still be significant and you might be kicking yourself so i think just to put a bit of context behind that that's something that i think um, the football index community will mature and, and learn that perhaps getting in right at the bottom and exiting in uh, exiting right at the top isn't necessary yeah i mean you know to be honest there's nobody on the index there can't possibly be anybody on the index who can exit every trade in the right at the right time or enter the every trade at the right time. It's, it's absolutely impossible. Um, if you th- if you look at a graph and you see that someone's low was one pound fifty, for example, and now they're one pound eighty, only one person bought at one pound fifty. If they say if they bought hundred, say you know, so it's 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 almost impossible to do that. And I think if you do get obsessed with that, then you know, and beat yourself up when you've bought them five p you know above the bottom or or sold them before they've kept going up, then. You know, you're going to be constantly, you know, worrying about your trading, criticizing yourself, and you just have to do what you think is right. You know, it's difficult. I mean, I've exited loads of players, which I thought, oh, they've gone up fifty percent now, like it's a really big rise. I'll, I'll sell them, sell them to market, and they've gone two pounds higher or something. You know, and then you sort of think, why did I sell them? Um, whilst the index is generally on a massive upward curve and the market cap's nowhere near being reached. Um, the bottom line is that really has anyone reached their peak? You know, I, I see people asking questions on on social media about has X player reached their peak. I don't think anyone's reached their peak. You know, if you think of the the way the index could be in the next few years with all the new countries and all the advertising and stuff, I don't think anyone's hit their peak apart from maybe Zlatan probably has. <laughs> but you know, generally, I don't think any any sort of uh, you know good youngish valuable players have hit their peak. So. I don't think you can, you're ever going to. I mean, you might hit the, the top of a peak and they might drop down again. You might buy them again after a, after a slump in form and then they go back up again. But um, to try and focus on the question uh, specifically, very very briefly, um, I think it just comes down to experience. I think you have to kind of see roughly how quickly people drop and then at what how quickly then people actually start picking them up again. So um, personally, I would suggest to wait for the official diagnosis. You know, if you see somebody limp off, like Arnautovic, for example, it wasn't clear how long he'd be out for. Um, and uh, so I, I would personally rather wait to enter that trade to see you know what actually the injury was. So I think it came out saying he was out for a month, but that could have been a three or four month you know injury for as uh, as far as we knew. So you know I think if if you buy them straight away, it's very risky. Um, generally, I'd say there's an initial dumping of the player, um, and then at some stage after they've fallen a certain percentage, which really is there's no 
science behind what that percentage is, people will start to think, hmm, he's dropped whatever, 10p, 15p, 20p. It didn't look that bad. I'm going to jump in. Um, but there's, there's no there's no easy uh, answer to it, to be perfectly honest. Uh, you just have to maybe practice a little bit, maybe just buy one share or five shares in somebody and just see whether you catch it right. And then if you start doing well with that, maybe then start doing it with more shares. Next question is from James Fraser. What type of player is your guilty pleasure? It was an interesting question. I wasn't quite sure what he meant by, by guilty pleasure. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what I'll do is I'll quickly uh, just cover my two favorite types of holds. Um, so the first one would be the regular PB winners um, that are quite a good price. So there's quite a few players between the kind of maybe two and five pound mark, which seem to win quite regular PB. Uh, I just think that, you know, with those types of players, um, the, the stats are there uh, to show that they regularly win PB. Uh, one of those players won again yesterday. Uh, people might know who I'm referring to there. Um, but um, I think ultimately those those types of players, you know, you, you can just sit with them and you just know they're going to keep winning your dividends every now and again. So for me, those those players are one of my favourites. The other type of uh, player I like as well is young players that are kind of quite proven already. Um, so I'm not a fan of the speculation on on some of the young players that have shot up to three or four pounds in the last few months without barely playing a game. But um, if I give maybe one example of this, because I don't think it's particularly overselling this player, but um, someone like Chiesa um, at Fiorentina now, I'll be honest, to play devil's advocate to this slightly, he's not having a very good season, but he's constantly linked with massive clubs. He's a regular for Italy. He's a regular, plays every game for Fiorentina. Um, so I just almost know, barring him having a serious injury, that he's going to s- slowly keep creeping up over the next few months and years. And therefore, for me, he's a very safe kind of hold. So that kind of player is one that I really like because I don't really see any downside to them unless they do get a serious injury. He's already proved enough that he's not going to be a flop, whereas some of the youngsters that get pumped on Twitter have barely even played a game, could easily fall by the wayside and end up you know, in League One or something in three or four years. So um they're definitely they're probably my guilty pleasure i suppose if uh, if you want to call them that <laughs> interesting posh index trader says what in your opinion is the single biggest flaw with the current platform and then he goes or maybe your top three <laughs> well i'm just going to say before we start the current ios app freezing all the bloody time chaps at fi if you're listening please sort it out it's absolutely getting ridiculous you open the app and you can't do anything you need to delete it reinstall it and then or just like exit the app and then go back on it it's actually ridiculous yeah i mean i I definitely agree with that i'm on ios as well and it's a bit of a nightmare um at the moment definitely um as people who follow me on twitter will know i'm very positive about the index i've already mentioned that on the pod as well but there are definitely some areas that need to be improved so i've kind of I've, i've made a list of three things i'll try and rattle through them as quickly as possible so the first one is technology uh, i think this day and age people expect technology and apps to work properly um, glitches frustrate people people lose faith in the product and the company so they need to really sort that out um so i totally agree with the, the iphone app at the moment previously it seemed to work fine as well so i don't, I don't know why it's suddenly uh suddenly being a problem with it um the ticker doesn't work properly at the bottom either this kind of thing can make users get a bit fed up and potentially could even leave the index you know because they if it's not working properly then it does kind of it, for some people it could make, make them question the you know what's going on um the watch list issue which has been you know done to death 
you know, to be perfectly honest, um, many times before. And also the reserve price not having worked properly but never being removed. All these kind of things um, are all te- te- technological issues which, you know, really should have been sorted out a long time ago and definitely frustrate people. And, and they are, you know, it's definitely something which, you know, could harm the product. Hopefully order books and, and the new website will sort these things out. But, um, you know, it's definitely an issue. Second thing is spreads. Um, the spreads really, really frustrate me. Um, so the top players, for a start, the spreads don't make any sense to me whatsoever. Um, I did some research on this yesterday. Um, at this time of when I wrote this down, Neymar had a 5% spread, Messi had a 4.3% spread, Pogba had a 9% spread, Ronaldo 5.2% spread, and Hazard 6% spread. Now, for me, there's no justification for those players having any different spreads whatsoever. They should all have the same percentage spread. Um, Pogba's had about a pound spread for about three months now, and it's just, it's just ridiculous. There's absolutely no justification for it whatsoever for him to have double the spread of Messi. There's just no justification for it at all. Um, and uh, just let people trade. I think it really harms the liquidity of the platform to have these massive spreads. Uh, let people instant sell for a reasonable loss if they want to, uh, or well, you know, loss in terms of compared to the buy price, and just let them trade. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, I actually listed one of one of these premium players um, this week, or last week I think it was, and they sold within two days. So the demand is there to buy them, so it just doesn't make any sense to have such huge spreads. Um, and then the cheap players as well. So again, this has been mentioned before, so I'll just keep it very brief. But I took a sample of 10 players uh, yesterday that are priced 86 pence, uh, just a random, random price point. Uh, four of them had a three-piece spread, and six of them had a five-piece spread. There's absolutely no reason for them to have a different spread whatsoever. Um, I'm guessing that this was caused by some previous batches of IPOs where they widened the spread at the start and never corrected them to the normal spreads. That's the only explanation I can come up with um, for that. I think that really harms liquidity as well because there's been various players that I've seen score a goal. I've looked to maybe buy them for the GNA dividends and they got a five-piece spread. I'm not going to buy them for a five-piece spread. So it's definitely harming the liquidity of the index. Um, so... Hopefully, the positive of this is that the order book should sort this out. But at the moment, that's definitely a gripe of mine. And the final one would be the onboarding process. Um, again, it's been done to death, so I won't labour the point. But um, I saw a question this week on Facebook from someone saying, what does P slash L mean next to a player? Which, for anyone that's listening that doesn't know, is profit or loss. Um, you know, But I don't laugh at this kind of thing. It actually just concerns me that there's people on the index who don't know what that means. Because... You know, it's fundamental to understanding what you're actually doing on the index. So um, there's definitely some personal responsibility in actually understanding it. And there is information out there if, if you really want to learn it. But I think FI definitely needs to improve that. And I think it's something they're fully aware of. So hopefully it won't be too long before that has been improved. Yeah, certainly those three things are something that I hope and I'm sure Football Index are working on. Uh, Paul Anthony says, I do actually have something I'd like to hear discussed with Fig, and you're definitely the man for it. The correlation between age and value. Uh, That's what we've talked about uh, recently or recently on this show, actually. Yeah, I think there's there's certain people who uh, have voiced their opinion on this. I've definitely voiced my opinion on it. There's definitely some older players who are in my opinion, massively undervalued because of their age. I think people think of the three-year holders, I've got to hold this player for three years, and in three years they'll be 34, 35, 36 or whatever, and focus far too much on that. Um, I think people are worried about long-term injuries, you know, could they be out for, for their career or, or whatever. Um, but 
or could they move to maybe China and that kind of thing. But if these players are winning dividends now, take the dividends that are on offer. And if you want to sell them at the end of the season or you know in April or whatever, um, and, and take them take them out, then that's fine. But if they're returning good dividends, then it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I, I won't mention players, but there's a certain young player at Wolves who's now more expensive than a certain midfield maestro at Manchester City who wins regular PB. <laughs> For me, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, so I think people worry far too much about it. It's fair that younger, a younger player of the same ability as an older player returning the same amount of dividends would be more expensive. That That's definitely fair enough, but maybe not treble the price or, or whatever. Um, so I just think people get too hung up on it. I've had people say to me that um, such and such a player is £3.00 they might have retired in three years, so their value will be zero in three years. So you need to have made £3 in dividends in the next three years to offset that price. It's like, no, you don't. You can hold them for one year, reap the dividends, and then sell them. <laughs> it just so, so I just think people get far too hung up on it. And whilst there is some relevance, it's vastly overstated. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, um, it's one of those things that until we see a massive crash in a young player, uh, I've said this for quite a while, we'll continue to see this happen. But... Um, for now we might just have to ride the ride the wave try and profit when we can but also understand that those players are far riskier because there's no dividends kind of underlying that asset if that makes sense so um at your own risk and at your own peril invest in those players but um be wary that they could fall and they could fall very by a very large amount i I think we saw um reese nelson drop by a pound recently which is uh quite a lot and a lot of people would have held because they're still up on the player again going back to that uh, green and red argument that we talked about so it's it's kind of interesting that we do need to still be wary about those things but we'll move on to the last question which is from Stanford why do you think FI have chosen to avoid promoting dividends as a means of profiting on the platform in favour of promoting capital appreciation do you think the balance still will sway in favour of dividends as primary means of profiting as the market cap is reached yeah so i saw stanford post something this morning saying how much fi had paid out paid out in dividends yesterday with the pb winners which was uh, an mb winner which was very interesting to see uh, <laughs> i think he was saying i'll advertise the, the winnings if you won't advertise them um which is you know, fair enough I, I, i'm not quite sure on the promoting dividends itself i seem to remember a tweet or something like that maybe from mike uh, at fi to say that um, for some reason, they're not allowed to promote them on the adverts. I'm not quite sure if that's definitely right, but um, that may well be the case. Um, I don't see why you can't. But it, if, it might, it might be, it might be the terminology. Could be, yeah, maybe, um, yeah, maybe. Um, so if the gambling commission says you can't do it, then you know, then obviously you can't do it. Um, you if you could, it, yeah. if you could do it, then <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. I think the only, the only opposite or conflicting things that would be is it a bit too much for say a tv advert to talk about the capital appreciation and the dividends would it just be too much um from them but certainly if they can mention the dividends in say you know written adverts you know in terms of in newspapers and things like that then that would definitely be a good thing um i think it it turns to the second part of the question um Yes, absolutely, definitely. You know, once the market cap is reached, it's going to be massively about dividends. You know, which players are making the dividends because that's the best way of making money. Then, because if if generally there's no more money coming into the market, then 
the way to generate more money in the market for yourself as a trader is to win dividends and there and then reinvest it in more players. So uh, I definitely think that will be the case. I don't think we're anywhere near a market cap. I think we're years away from a market cap personally. But when it eventually is reached, then certainly dividend yielding players will become probably even more valuable than they are at the moment. Um, just maybe one slight one thing to mention in linking to this as well is perhaps people don't necessarily realize this uh, so much but there are some people who say i don't i don't chase dividends i don't look for dividends i just look for you know other things and that's completely fine that's up to that individual person but one thing that people miss is the compounding effect of dividends and we mentioned compounding earlier on but you know i won 50 pound in dividends last night for example from my some some of my players and that's all going to go back into buying new players that's all banked profit. If you've got a player that you bought at £2 and he's now £3, that's fantastic. But if, unless you've sold that player, you haven't actually made that money yet. It's not profit. So I think people really underestimate the power of dividends. Uh, dividends are so important to increasing your portfolio and actually making profit and then reinvesting and compounding your balance. So I um, just want to kind of link that in there to Stanford's question because it is massively relevant and you know, dividends, in my opinion, are massively um, underestimated. Mm. I do think that a lot of people, as you say, do neglect dividends, but at the same time, if they can, if they can use the beauty of compounding by buying and selling, buying lows, selling high, then I do think that they can also um, reap the rewards of the eighth wonder of the world, as we mentioned. It's just, if you do, as you said, refuse to sell, then you perhaps still haven't made that money. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can definitely do that. I mean, you see that with the G&A dividends. So some people will try and buy as soon as the goal goes in and then sell them you know, 20 seconds later for a profit and not take any dividends from any of the players. That's that's a great way of trading. If you can get on that quickly and do that, that's fantastic. But that trade is based on the promise of dividends. So it all links into the dividends. So even if that player never that trader sorry, never receives a single dividend payment for any goals or, or assists, they're making money because of the dividend. So or the promise of a dividend that other players are then chasing. So it all ultimately comes back to dividends. Um and or certainly the majority of it does. And and therefore I just think that a lot of people miss the point really with with dividends and don't realise how important they are to the index. They are the fundamental thing. And I know you've said yourself on previous podcasts, without the dividends, every player is technically worth zero. I think uh, SG says that quite a lot, doesn't he? <laughs> well, it's, it, it is true, effectively, because what's the point of holding a player if they can't win any dividends? Ever. Well, rightly so. You know? Rightly so. It's um, it's a strange one, uh, and I think that's a, that's the point that football index need to address the educational standpoint to actually, as you mentioned, onboard users properly so that they do understand the full mechanics of the game. Absolutely, yes, yeah. it's, it's it's fundamental to it. It's amazing how many things you read where people just don't seem to understand basic elements of the index, and it's difficult. You know, don't get me wrong. You know, anyone that's quite new listening to this, you know, I and other traders have been on here a while. Have all been through that time where. Things don't make sense. It takes time to understand things. Why markets go up and down? All these kind of things. It is difficult, but you get there in the end if you put the effort into watch videos, you know, from yourself, for example, and you know read newsletters and listen to podcasts and things. You learn an awful lot, and they just need to take that time to invest that time into understanding the product, and then everything should fall into place for you. Well, I think that's a very good place to end the show, Alan. Uh, where can people find out more about you? 
Uh, well, as uh, people have alluded to already, I'm very active on Twitter. So <laughs> generally, if you search the Football Index hashtag, you'll probably see one of my tweets up there. Um, but my actual handle on Twitter is at Footy Index Al. Uh, so you're very welcome to follow me on there. So um, you'll see some regular stuff from, from me via Twitter. So by all means, give me a follow. And uh, if I like your account, I might follow you back. <laughs> cool. And uh, yeah, thanks very much for coming on, man. Um, it's been a really interesting conversation. And, uh, some really good questions from everyone as well. Thank you very much for submitting those. Uh, if you're on your commute, then please do enjoy it. And hopefully this has helped speed it up and if you're not commuting uh thanks very much for listening uh doing whatever you're doing but um tune in next week for another episode got a few good ones coming up um i'm not sure who next week will be but the week after will hopefully be adam cole and then got another one uh in the works at the end of the month which should be quite interesting and uh, return of a few favorites in the new year and a few new people who haven't been on before which will be really really interesting so hope everyone's enjoying themselves cheers